My name is Melissa. My name is Katie. My name is, my name is Ashley Brooke. My name is, Brooke. My name is, my name is Emma Christensen. And I am a survivor of sex trafficking in America. Hello, and welcome to season one of our podcast, Selling Girls in America. This show is dedicated to shedding light on the crime of sex trafficking in America. We want to give a voice to survivors of this crime as well as discuss prevention methods to stop more people from becoming victims. I'm your host, Randy, a writer and podcaster, and I just learned about human trafficking in the United States. I wanted to put this podcast together with Guardian Group to learn more about these crimes and get answers to questions, questions that I think most Americans would have. Joining me shortly is Jeff Teagues, a military veteran with over 25 years of service in the Army and Chief Operations Officer of Guardian Group, a nonprofit organization that fights human trafficking within the United States. The following episode contains distressing content regarding sex trafficking. This may be triggering for those with lived experience or their families. Please proceed with caution. All names and locations in this episode have been covered for the protection of those involved. We understand this makes it difficult to listen to and apologize in advance. We believe this mother's story is valuable and hope you continue to listen. What you are about to hear is a very candid brave and bold interview from the mother of a trafficking victim and survivor. We are forever indebted to her for how open she has been with her feelings and her information and how candid she is about the whole event. Um, We want you to hear it unvarnished. We want you to hear it straight from uh, but I also want to highlight uh, highlight a few things. You are hearing raw emotion and passion and we've come a long ways since this occurred about three years ago. Our local law enforcement uh, is filled with fantastic professionals who have come alongside us in this education and this journey. And I like to think that these events you're about to hear that would be handled very differently today. But don't be mistaken, there are many things that law enforcement is hampered by. And you'll hear about this story and specifically when a girl is of age, she's not under 18 anymore, um, there are freedoms and liberties and protocols that we have to follow um, by law. And there is oftentimes little that law enforcement can do for somebody who is not a minor with disclosure and information, etc. Now, what I do think uh, you will take away from this is there is always something we can do, a little something, lend an ear, be more sensitive. And that is something where Guardian Group tries to stand in that gap. We're not law enforcement. We are allegiant to law enforcement and work with them, but we're also allegiant to district attorneys and their desires and, and will, as well as the aftercare, uh, the survivors, the uh, victim advocates. So with our special forces background, we're trained to stand in the gap and, and recognize and understand the viewpoint of all these different players, try to find common ground and to be successful. So you're hearing unvarnished truth from we love uh, the, the, the men and women that were involved in this. And again, I can honestly say we are in a very different place today. And a lot of that is because of courage. Other couple of things I want to highlight, you'll hear it from her. This happens in every town in America, small or big. There isn't necessarily a level of complacency that is out there or things that go wrong. Um, but it's complicated and complex and somebody has to stop what they're doing in their busy life to really dig into this. And this includes law enforcement, people that work in the hotel industry, hospitals. You'll, you'll hear this over and over throughout this podcast. I want to highlight another thing that, uh, oftentimes, um, the brokenness begins in another occurrence. You know, we're focusing on commercial sex trafficking and how we can combat that industry. But these things that happen behind closed doors, the levels of abuse, the date rape, um, what, what is often difficult to separate between consensual sex and rape, those are things we don't even touch. What you are hearing over this season of the podcast is the tip of the iceberg of the exploitation and bringing girls into that industry and selling them in America. So... The difficulties in proving all of these cases, the he said, she said, the evidence, the data, and this thing that we're moving beyond, this thing we're moving beyond is that it's a difficult case. It's hard to prove. The, the, the victims are difficult to take the stand because of the drugs and the trauma, et cetera. 
we're knowing more and more about this crime and about the trauma and we're handling these victims, moving them towards survivors and, and able to uh, lead towards prosecutions better. But the other growth industry is the technology and letting the technology speak for itself. The exploitation that occurs online as well as on the cell phones, et cetera, et cetera. One last thing I just want to highlight with uh story. Uh, I will say you, I hope you enjoy this episode and not in a sense that you feel good about it, but in a sense that you have an opportunity to hear from a mother that lived this. She was going about her day like we all do, a normal day in the life of her and her daughter, and things took a very, very bad turn. And the brokenness and the trauma still exists for all of that family. We highlight every chance we, we get. Uh, she is a voice for the exploited and the oppressed, and we stand by her and uh, are, are proud to offer her this voice here on our podcast. So... And uh, for all you listeners out there, I think you will be very moved about what you're about to hear. Okay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Today we have a special guest who is the mother of a survivor whose daughter was trafficked and has agreed to tell her story from her parents' point of view. So um, thanks for coming. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I I think uh, our our listeners are going to learn a lot. And uh, I think we should start at, um, you know, your daughters you know before the event happened and what her family like was life and and like her friends in school and things like that so yes my daughter was the youngest of three children and pretty normal childhood I would have to say that grew up in an upper class environment went to private school we, she lived in a home with the mom and a dad that were successful, that took very good care of her. We had household help um, and a very well-adjusted little girl. She, we moved to when she was in fourth grade. She immediately made friends, um, some of, most of which are still her friends today. Um, she went to a private school here. It was a very tight knit little community of children and lived a fairly insulated, protected life up until she was 16 when her father passed away. Um, at that time, it it was a difficult time. It's a difficult time for all young people. It's a time of change. Are you a kid? Are you an adult? You're neither. Um, your, your influences are your peers, much more so than your parents. Um, but all of a sudden, she's the kid without a dad. And she's not a kid that sees her dad every other weekend. She's a kid without a dad. And it was just at that time in life when I saw all three of my children reaching an age where they would have been able to engage with him in an adult, young adult relationship and probably gotten a lot of value from that relationship. Um, up until then, he wasn't a comp- really involved parent. He he worked and it was a businessman and career. And But as they got older, I saw that relationship building and then he was gone. So, um, right at that time, I was also granted emergency custody, um, of my grandson who was a baby and from one of her older, older siblings. siblings. Yeah. Who was having difficulties. And, um, since then I've raised him for the past seven years, um, as his parent. Right. Um, And it was just this whole turmoil and it was sudden, it was abrupt. um, And went from the rose colored bubble of a lovely little world, very protected to um, a lot of questioning who she was, 
where she fit. And that happens to every kid that age, but hers was just magnified through trauma. She turned 18 years old. She went out with some friends and they decided to drink alcohol. Not the first time, not the last time kids, teenagers <laughs> drink on a birthday, especially. Um, she was very unaccustomed to alcohol, um, immediately was intoxicated and was raped forcibly, violently. But this isn't um, the trafficker. This is a different no, incident. No, this is, but it, this is on her 18th birthday. Right, got it. This was approximately eight to nine months before she was trafficked. Right. Um, she did everything right. She went to the police. Well, she went to the hospital. Um, they took photographs of the ligature marks and the injuries. They did an entire rape kit. She went to the police. So all of this created this perfect storm of a young girl um, not knowing who she is, not, not understanding the world. So with that said, um, I, she, she was a basic average young gal before all of this and did well in school, had close friends, close long-term friends, which is very valuable. Right. You know, they weren't just come and go friends. Um, she physically, she's a very, very beautiful person physically um, and turned a lot of heads. Mm-hmm. Um, looked a little older than she is. Not because she dressed older. She just bone, feet, you know, structure. Right. She just carried herself maturely. And she looked, you know, I remember, you know, 13 and 14, 18, 19 year old boys turning their heads and, you know, whistling or something. And she'd yell back, I'm 13. Wow. You know, because <laughs> that's, she was, she was age appropriate. She was her age. Right. And she liked being her age, um, which so I, I appreciated. So how did she uh, eventually meet this guy? So it was a very like innocuous meeting of two young girls walking down the street. She was with a friend. There was two other girls walking on a sidewalk in um, a, our, our um, historic downtown area um familiar um to the locals is a very lovely place to be um and certainly where anyone from out of town would go and these two girls said hey we need directions to such and such they asked him that and so the girls were giving them directions and then they kind of proceeded to say hey you guys are fun like you know is there what's fun to do and they were kind of telling them some things they could do, float the river, all those kind of fun things you do in the warm weather. And they exchanged phone numbers. Well, that was it for that day. And then um, the following day, unbeknownst to me, right. I, did, I later learned these girls got a hold of my daughter and her friend. And they said, hey, come, we're staying at this hotel. Come down, meet us. We're going to go... Um, out like let's go float the river like you said or let's do something fun it's beautiful out and um so my daughter and her friend went to meet these girls they seemed nice and fun and young normal age-ish so same yeah. ballpark my daughter was 18 these girls were probably no more than 22 right um seemed appropriate they at that time there was no one else at the hotel besides the two girls. Two girls were there at the hotel. Um, and then later on, um, the girls had shared that they were with, um, they were cousins and they were with another friend and um, their uncle. Their uncle. Their uncle. And um, 
because that's going to come up. Why are you in town? Who are you here with? Right. That's how it all started. And they were, it, they'd had a great day. I think they floated the river or did something very normal. Right. Like Fun, that, normal. that day. Fun, normal, young people having a good time. And do you know uh, if the, the other girls paid for everything or? Or oh, no, your, I don't no. know. My daughter had money. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But the Fun in the River is free. Right, right. But, um, you know, if they'd gotten lunch or coffee or, you know, right. they don't. My daughter wouldn't have been like, oh, let's go out to lunch. Right. It's just kind of like you pick up a slice of pizza or, right. you know, a bagel, whatever. Um, they hadn't. So I don't think there was money. Right. Involved. They went back to the hotel they said, hey, we're going to go. You know what we're doing? This is our uncle. And we're going to go. He's a friend of his is in town. And we're all going to go down to this music festival. Do you want to come? Mm-hmm. Well, both girls were like, yeah, that sounds fun. Right. They said, well, we're going to leave. We're leaving this evening so we can be there first thing in the morning and blah, blah, blah. And um, come on. And it was just all of a sudden it was like, make a decision right now. Right. And my daughter was like, this sounds fun. I think in the packing up and going to our house, these people brought her to my home. We weren't home. My husband and I were not home. Um, Brought her in the house, said, pack some stuff. It all seemed pretty reasonable to my daughter who had no clue that she was being set up. Uh, at that time, they were fact gathering about my daughter. Right, that's what these uh, that's what these traffickers do, right? They try to find they bring, they try to find out try to find out as much information as they can about the yeah. about you. Yeah, get some leverage on her, maybe in case yeah. there's problems down the road. Um, no, and actually, know where she lives. So if she ever gets home, they know where to find her. Right, and and, and they did. So you weren't there. So you brought them home. They packed up clothes for the weekend, I guess. Yeah, like it's an overnight bag, you know, a couple toiletries and a couple, like a pair of shoes and some a jacket and some pair of jeans, you know, whatever. So I, I also something else we had talked about this earlier. So it is African-American. Yes. Were his nieces African-American or were they white? W- uh, one was African-American. Okay. Um, and two... One was Hispanic okay. and one was Caucasian. But they all called him Uncle. No, they didn't call him Uncle. <laughs> they called him. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, but he referred to himself as King. King. Okay, got it. Um, no, the the, the African American girl said it was her uncle. Right. Yes. Uh, but they were all friends and knew each other. Right. Um, their uncle was really cool. You know. Yeah, of course. All uncles are cute. Cool. Yeah. And his buddy's really cool too. You know, her friend, my daughter's friend, the last minute said, you know what? No, I don't want to go. I've got to do this or that, whatever. She made an excuse. She didn't go. My daughter didn't think anything of it. Right. According to her friend later on, she didn't have any red flags. She didn't think she didn't go because she was scared. She just went because she thought she'd get she in trouble go for going away for the weekend. Like, eh, I don't want to go or okay. something. I don't know. As soon as my daughter got on the road with them around 6.30 p.m., they had, my daughter didn't realize this till much later, mm-hmm. they had grabbed her phone out of her purse. Right. And immediately had taken her phone and turned the ringer off. They had it on. They had all her contacts. They knew who was calling her because I'd continued to call it and the phone was on. Right. Um, text messages were going through. The good news on that, because of them wanting to be invasive in her life, they opened a window to see what they were doing and where they were going. Right. Which was great. Right. Of course, that's not a window for me or any other average cell phone consumer, we can't, you know, track our kids' phones. Now we can, but at the time, we couldn't live track. Um, by 9 p.m., I had called my daughter multiple times. I don't remember now, after all this time and events, 
what exactly she said she was doing that day, but I know it didn't involve her not being home for dinner. Right. And she'd left in a good mood. She'd left in like, you know, a tank top, sandals, and a pair of shorts. Right. You know, going off to have fun. I know she had her purse and she left in a cell phone. That's it. You know, didn't have a bunch of money, you know, maybe 20 bucks or something. So I knew something was wrong. She wasn't home. When did you notice, did you ever look in her room and see stuff missing or whatever they took was just. Whatever she took was minimal. Minimal, right. Yeah. It was just a bag, you know. My daughter, like most 18 year olds had more clothes than New York fashion models. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And shoes. So. Nothing you would have noticed. Oh, no. She would have had to like, you know, have a moving van for me to notice. (laughs) Um, Unless it was something favorite of hers that was something obvious. Like her pillow was missing off her bed or like something big. I don't know. I, I didn't notice. But you so around nine o'clock you knew she wasn't home for dinner. So yes, that would I be called... called her at least a dozen times wow. between calling and texting. And uh, she doesn't not answer the phone. Well, she's eighteen. Sometimes she doesn't answer the phone. But if I've sent her, left her six voicemails <laughs> right. and six texts going, I'm worried sick. Right. What is going on? Call me or text me immediately. Right. And there's no response. Something's wrong. Got it. So about what time did you start calling the police? So I called the police around 9 p.m. Okay. That's three hours. Now I can, I can honestly tell you that a lot of people would say, she's 18. You, you panicked in three hours? Uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did because this was such a, a pattern breaker. Right. And it was also due to the fact that multiple voicemails and multiple text messages had been sent to her stating, I'm really worried. I just tell me everything's okay. Right. So I was told by the PD that she was 18, which was, she was an adult. Right. And I could not file a report. And I said, but something's wrong. Sorry, we don't know something's wrong. And she has every right to not answer your phone calls and disappear if she wants. She's 18. Basically. I tried to get a hold of her again continuously up till about midnight. Her phone was still on, still still um, ringing and ringing. Text messages were going through. I knew at this point the cell phone, the cell must be dying with the amount of times I've called and texts. Um, I continued trying to get a hold of her up until about midnight. I went to bed, got up crack of dawn and I called PD again and I said well I want to file a missing person report I said something's wrong <laughs> um my husband and I were beside ourselves we so I'm lucky enough to have resources after living in DC for 21 years um I had friends that were secret service and uh, quite a few one of my childhood friends who I grew up with since a little girl um, had entered the Secret Service um, and made a career of it and ended up in D.C. And, you know, it was, it was so I had a lot of contact with his bosses and friends and um, people that were governors and senators. Um, and I got a hold of them. I called the Secret Service. <laughs> and I said, what do I do? And he said, call this person at Homeland Security. So I called them. Like anybody calling Homeland Security, you get an automated. But I left a message. I said who I was, where I was from, what my situation was, who had told me to call them. I got a call back within 45 minutes from Homeland Security. And they took a detailed report from me of everything I knew. They contacted the FBI. And then the FBI contacted me. During this time, I was speaking to one of my dearest friends who works for an organization that that works with youth, a nonprofit organization. She told me to call a gentleman named 
and gave me his number. Yes. Yes. And she said, would you be feel comfortable calling him? I said, "I, I don't know who this organization is. And she said, listen, just take my word for it. She goes, better yet, can I give him your number? And I said, great. You give him my number. I've just talked till, you know, my throat is sore to all of these authorities. And he, he wants to get involved. I'd love it, but have him call me. Because I was feeling hope, helpless. And, like, nothing was happening. He called me. and. He immediately said, give me everything. Give me everything you know, which wasn't much. Right. Um, and he said, hold on. But I, I, I was piecing things together. It's like, she's, something's going on. She's, she's not able to, to answer her phone. Um, he got her phone number from me. He got her Facebook accounts, all these kind of things. And he said, let me go from here. Let me see what I can do. I got a hold of this girl that was still in town that was a, a friend of a newer friend, but a friend. Of and I kind of browbeat her. And I just said, oh, no, no, no. I am not getting out of your face until you tell me where my daughter is. She goes, I don't know where she, you know, but she then went down a road of saying it was this hotel and it was some, this guy and some girls and they, and I relayed that. She wasn't going to tell me anything. She was like, I don't know what you're talking about, which made me angry. Of course. She finally told me and I said, I thank you. I'm a mother. If your mother, you know, thank you. I'm not mad at you. I'm just thankful. You told me finally. So, and his team were actively tracking sites and solicitations for girls and trying to make connections. They figured out she was most likely in the Los Angeles area. I went, wait, uh, Los Angeles, you know. How far drive that is that? Los Angeles is... Well, depending, it's nine hour. It just really depends. But right. say you're stopping with girls and you do the 18 hours. Wow. Yeah. If you're not driving through and, you know, mainlining um, to San Francisco or to uh, Los Angeles. I mean, you can get there faster, but I'm probably thinking not um, with a bunch of people stopping, eating, whatever. Well, what happened is they got it narrowed down to area, vague, but this was day three. When did you call them? On day two? I I called, no. Yes, day two. Well, within, I called them, I I spoke to within 15 hours of me going, calling the PD, going something's wrong. So so at like nine o'clock, nine o'clock the first night when she disappeared, you called that you called them. So by noon the next day, almost. no, no, no. Noon the next day, I called them. Or I talked to. Okay. The evening before, I only talked talk to, to talk the talk PD. And then you talked to them in the morning. Then you talked to your uh, homeland security. They called you back. You talked to the FBI, and then you talked around noon the following day. Yes. So then I talked to. Like it was like a, just say it was a Monday. I talked to. Okay. And by Tuesday, they figured out she okay. was in so the, that's the next day. Los Angeles. Right. Then area they were narrowing it down got it they're good yeah <laughs> no i use them i had some problems with uh i mean i had some problems with my son and i, I talked to him i got information and within 12 hours yeah yes it's 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 amazing i it, during this time i was still calling the pd and then there was a gentleman at the pd there was one officer named i don't remember his last name who uh gotten hold of he was the one officer in the entire police department of a city of 90,000 people said he was the only one who dealt with the FBI on some of these sex trafficking cases so day three about 6 p.m. I got a phone call from a Los Angeles cell phone number and I answered it and it was King 
the trafficker. Really? Yes. And he knew my name and he talked to me like I was his best friend. And he pulled the whole, Oh, I'm, I can't find your daughter. She, she's, she wants to come home. And I just, I can't get a hold of her. And I was wondering if you'd heard from her because I want to get her on a bus home. I want to help her. Um, I think she's lost. And if she gets a hold of you, would you call me so I can um, go pick her up and help her get on a bus home? I played right along. I said, oh, my gosh, thank you for your concern. Um, I absolutely will. All of that. Well, they were. You got his number, though, right? uh Uh-huh. And he thought I was just another dumb lady that he manipulated. He said, hold on a second. I'll call you right back. And he hung up. And I called immediately. And I gave him the phone number and the guy's name. King. From there, they were on it. He called me back and said, oh, yes. So anyway, here, call this number or this number. And I'm really concerned and everything else about your daughter. I said, well, thank you. And, you know, I'll, I'll make sure to get back to you if I hear from her. And that was that. About 11 a.m. the next morning, I got another phone call from a Los Angeles number. Different area code, but a Los Angeles number. And I answered it thinking, probably him. And it was my daughter. She had run away. And he was, they were all, he, he and the girls were actively looking for her. And she had basically escaped and ran with another girl named was very addicted to heroin at this point because that they gave it to the girls. Did they give it to your daughter while she was gone for three days? Absolutely. First thing they did was, so first thing they did when she got in this car is someone pickpocketed her purse and took herself up. First thing they did, she thought she'd lost it. Second thing they did was they got to the San Francisco area and stopped somewhere along the route to Los Angeles, spent the night and um, injected my daughter with heroin. She doesn't remember a whole lot about getting down to LA, obviously, or while she was there. So what had happened, apparently they had, they had forced her um, into prostitution that night. That first night. And first night. They said, listen, we've paid for your food and we're paying for your trip and you have to do this. And of course she was like, uh, uh what? And King raped her. And he said, good enough. You're good enough. You know, and he hurt her badly. She said no. And so what he did is the girl with him that was they refer to as the bottom bitch in those I've learned a lot. She's his main girl. Right. And she's his main recruiter. And he beat the living daylights out of her. He beat her within an inch of her life and said, and then looked at my daughter and said, you're going to do this. And she was like, I'm going to do this. So she's beautiful. She is exotic looking. And he got a lot of money for my daughter by a client that he called specifically in that region. It wasn't an ad he posted to some random person. Average white 40-year-old father-like guy who paid a lot of money to be the first with this girl that wasn't considered a minority. She wasn't rough looking, you know, beautiful girl. Well, she escaped the next day with this girl. They were terrified after seeing the beating of the other girl and the beating of the other girl was literally control of everybody. Beat one, control them all. Her 
ran. I don't know what happened that they had the opportunity that they bolted. Um, I think he wasn't paying attention. Something happened. And they ran. When they ran, they ended up in, in a McDonald's bathroom and panicked and freaked out. And she was so indoctrined into this. She said, I have to go back. I have to go back. And she went back. And my daughter didn't. She So a gentleman getting off of work late and she was sitting on a curb of a parking lot crying. Young, young guy <clears throat> getting off work, walking through the parking lot, stopped. And he looked at her and he goes, you don't belong here. He goes, what are you, what's going on? And she said, I'm scared. And he took her home and he didn't do, he was kind. He fed her. She took a shower. He, she slept on his couch. Um, and he had her call me the next morning from his phone. And he, I, I, I made them, I said, I need you to hang up and FaceTime me. So I can see you. I can see this guy. I mean, because I still don't know if this is another right. trafficker. Right, right. But he gets on the phone and just a good guy. A good guy that saw a girl and said, you, you don't belong here. With these certain hotels, certain, you know, he's like, oh, my gosh. So he and I worked together on getting an airplane ticket. I said, I've got her a ticket. He said, great. He goes, I have to work, but I can get her an Uber to the airport. I said, do I need to send you money? All this. And he's like, absolutely not. Just so that day he took her and had her hair done, bought her some new clothes, bought her some makeup to put on and sent her home on in an Uber, sent her to the airport. And she came home whole, physically, scared, traumatized, and she didn't know what to say. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, I said, we have to go talk to the police. And she's like, okay. I said, you can do this. So this one time, you, you just got to do it. And my daughter's a very quiet girl she doesn't really talk about anything certainly doesn't share about herself kind of shy kind of quiet certainly someone who kind of just holds everything close to the cuff and she had to go talk to the police and so she did and they had in there another police officer was in a room we went into an observation room i called her a, a lawyer before we went in there, I said, no, you're going in with a lawyer. My daughter, my, I didn't want my daughter exploited again for some other purpose. Right. This, and it's just unfortunate that we have to do that in this world. But yeah, I think that was the safest thing to do. Yeah. So then um, an, an ADA was there and it, it was happening very fast. Um, we sat in the observation room with the ADA and another police officer with us. I'm not sure why he was with us um, because we said we, 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 we're only doing this if we can observe. So we understand um, the line of questioning where this is going. Um, we need our daughter to be safe, feel safe or, you know, so they were asking very invasive type questioning for a girl who just got off a plane, just got saved by somebody by happenstance. You know, how many other people could have stopped and picked her up? for God's sakes, um, had escaped this guy. I mean, this all, this was 72 hours in. And we felt it went all right. I mean, she conveyed what happened. Um, and we consulted with the ADA that was sitting with us the whole time. We were kind of back and forth talking and kind of left it there. Didn't know what was going to happen from here. We knew that it was going to be extremely difficult, right, 
to try this or pursue this in any way. This guy's in Southern California now. What do we do? Um, I think I, at that time, my husband and I both expressed to this officer, in addition to being extremely grateful to have our daughter home, also concerned about this happening in our town. We were really concerned about this. There's got to be someone missing her and, you know, broke my heart. You know, what, when did anyway. this happen? Ooh, like two, a couple of years ago. Is that what we're talking yes. about? Or? Yes. I'm sorry. Um, I want to say 2016. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> I have I, no I hope, time I, relation with my life, a busy life. How, how is your daughter now? So, by the way, we successfully prosecuted King. Oh, he's really? He's in jail? Then. He oh, came what a, back to. He came back to find your daughter? That's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And he got arrested. And because of my daughter's testimony, he was successfully prosecuted. That is great news. And did 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 they ever find any of the other women? Like anybody? I don't know. I that I don't know. Not not here in town. He probably kept them away from. They, what about the just just King? Um, that's also a very disappointing um, aspect of this story. Is that because he's local, right? Hmm. Um, he was never charged or prosecuted. I've learned more about what's going on in since this. Has there been a, a lot of other people trafficked out of actively happening in this little town? And that that's that's the sad, sad state of what is happening in small town America right now. Is we have conservative values and we're family oriented and. Blah, 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 blah. The problem is these small towns are either completely naive to what's going on or there's a prejudice in, well, that happens to families and children, young adults at risk, meaning they're at risk because they're homeless. They're at risk because of family um, dysfunction. Um, they're into drugs. Um, what, whatever the scenario, they, their school dropouts. Um, they keep running away. They're, they're truant. They're, they're delinquents. Um, all of these kind of preconceived notions. Whereas my daughter comes from a family of, Ivy League educated people, you know, successful people, whatever that word success means to people in America, which is financial success, education, right? right? Reputation, lifestyle. She wasn't beaten. She wasn't molested. She wasn't um, exposed to all of that life that or, or, horrors as a child like like so many kids are none of that no it just it just uh kind of emphasizes the fact that this can happen to anyone if you're not careful. anyone and i think that's why i've spoken up about it because i want people to realize this didn't happen to my daughter because she's kind of a throwaway anyway and that's this prevailing ideology of what happens in this country. We, we like to live in this insulated pink rosy bubble that says that won't happen to my child because we're good parents and we, we love our children and we value education and we provide a good stable home environment and we know who our kids' friends are. And we have good friends and we've protected our child from abuse. We go, we're good. This is, this can't happen to my child. And I, I need that message out there that this doesn't just happen in Bangkok and in Bangladesh 
and, you know, Serbia. This happens in upper class. Um, it's everywhere. It happens to anybody. Right? Any. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, uh, I guess, what advice would you give to other parents who find themselves in this situation? I think, I think I know what your first one would be. It would be trust your gut, right? Go with it. You know, if you, if you've raised your children and been a part of their lives, which I don't care how great or non-great a mom you are, you know your kids. You know. If your father, you know, this isn't right. This is, know your kids' patterns. Now, I don't know what, if my spider tingly senses would have gone off if my daughter was known for never answering her phone when I called. Or, you know. But why would you, but if you're, if you're, uh, you know, in present in their lives, then ideally that's not happening. In your well, family. ideally you don't have, your daughter doesn't have a cell phone unless she, that you're paying for, unless she answers <laughs> it. <laughs> there you go. Ideally. That's an ideal, <laughs> perfect world. Um, <laughs> that wasn't the case in my, in my world. No, it's not. It was not. No. And I'm not saying that my daughter was some, sweet little perfect girl who never lied to her mother or right. snuck out the bedroom window to go to a party or uh, didn't answer her cell phone at midnight. Cause I was like, where are you? Your bedroom's empty. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Right. It was, it was a beautiful sunny afternoon when my daughter went to go have fun with friends and never to be heard from again Hours and hours and hours. What? That's wrong. I knew that wasn't right. And I knew to push buttons. Yeah. And you, Why? And you, you were really lucky to, you were really, you were lucky to have the contacts you had. I mean, not everyone has those contacts. A social security. Friend, everybody you... has the ability to call start. And I, this is my suggestion. Um, I've done it basically my whole life, because it's probably the family I was raised in. I started at the top. I called PD because they're local, but I started at the top. Right. Very, very top of the pyramid. Yeah. Because trickle down. Someone at the top who's getting a, you know, a phone call from a gal and doesn't, they, they have to be concerned because they're at the top. But that report isn't going to be front and center on their desk. Right. But guess who has all the contacts? Guess who has a computer system that he can send that out or she can send that out worldwide? And, of course, Guardian Group. Guardian Group. Guardian group. And, oh, Guardian Group. Little, very little known resource that is extraordinarily valuable. Um, no, thank you so much for coming on and talking I really appreciate it and sharing your story. And I know I could tell if you were making me emotional, I can't imagine how bad it was for you to relive it again. Um, do you have any last, uh, any last things to say or. No, I do. I think that, um, trust your gut, even if your kid's a young adult and can make choices on their own. Right. Cause Still do you, you don't really, you don't really grow up until you're I'm 50. I, I still haven't grown up. <laughs> I'm 52. I'm working on it. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's just one of those things. No, pay attention to patterns. Yeah. Cause when, when that's, that's when you know something, the gut goes off, something's not right with this and yeah. trust it. The story breaks my heart. I'm so sorry. She had to go through that. We, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't know if you didn't want to tell me or, or we forgot that, but is, how's your daughter now? My daughter is um, a mother. Oh, that's She nice. has a 16-month-old daughter who's perfect. Congratulations, Grandma. Yeah, right? I know. It's like, oh, I love the little baby. Um, and it's become the most. She's a nanny for um, three other children mm -hmm. um, in their home, and she takes her daughter with her. She is a wonderful mother. Just, I mean, better mother than I ever was. 
by far. Um, but I think some of the repercussions are this. Um, she doesn't talk about anything at all. Um, and she, I think those are the long-term repercussions. She's unwilling to engage in therapy. I think it's too much. She can't. Too much. Uh, maybe someday. Um, and she is what you would call an attachment parent where the child can't, I'm the only human being who's ever been alone with that child. My right. daughter, that child is on her. She will not take her eyes off that child. That's and I, the child's well adjusted and perfectly happy. Um, but it's interesting to see that she, yeah. there, she will not trust anyone near her child. Well, I'm, I'm glad she's. So that'll be a process for her yeah. to kind of break. You know, as the child wants to be with friends, right. and wants to go, wants to go to me. She's going to put a chip in her child. <laughs> probably. No, they'll, they'll probably be available the long then. Long term, long term repercussions. I think that will be, um, will be a person who, I don't think will ever get to a point that she feels perfectly safe. Right. Or that's that her daughter's safe. That's understandable. Yeah. And that's, that stinks. Yeah. But she's, she's, she's great. She's doing cool. great. No drugs, no alcohol, no, um, you know, none of, thank God, because of all of that that happened, she could have easily gone down. Right, 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 right. Um, she's, she's doing well. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. If you need help with a potential trafficking situation, please contact your local law enforcement agency or call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 888-373-7888 or text HELP to 233-733. Resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at www.guardiangroup.org slash podcast. If you'd like to donate to the fight against human trafficking, please go to www.guardiangroup.org slash donate. If you have a question you would like answered on a future episode, please send it to contact at guardiangroup.org.